Hello and welcome to another interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching well over 1,000 comedians for nearly 50 years. My guest today is the founder of the Leicester Comedy Festival. It's only Mr. Jeff Rowe. Yeah! <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? Hello, how are you? Are you all right? I'm absolutely fine. I'm delighted you're my guest today. It's it, we're gonna have a well, we're gonna have a great time. Well, you know, fingers crossed. I haven't said very, <laughs> I haven't said very much yet. I might muck it all up for you, but uh, thank you for asking me. Thank you for asking me on. I think normally you talk to people way more famous than I am, but uh, well, uh, my friend, you. you have created a <clears throat> comedy festival for the last thirty years, which is just bizarre. It's 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 wonderful, wonderful stuff. It, it really is, and we'll, we'll we'll delve into it. The sure, interview, um, the interview should last forty five minutes to an hour, something like that. Um, and I'd like to ask you first off: you're the co-founder of one of my favorite yearly comedy events, the Leicester Comedy Festival, which in twenty twenty three celebrated its thirtieth year. Congratulations! That's fantastic. Thank you. What gave you the idea for a comedy festival in the first place? And how did the festival begin, please? So um, <clears throat> I um, just to tell you a bit about myself, I, I promoted my first ever music gig. So I was I was into music when I was growing up. And when I was 13, I went home and I said to my parents, I was really bored. My friends were really bored. And I said, I'm going to put on a gig in the local village hall. And they said, they should have said, don't be so ridiculous. You're 13. Um, but <laughs> they didn't. They said, uh, okay, that fine. Do that then. So I did. And um, throughout my teenage years, I put on live music. And if I'm completely honest, I think I wanted to become a music promoter, music producer. Um, and then I, came to Leicester to study a degree which was called arts it was actually called arts administration but now it's called arts and festivals management and I did that because I wanted to you know I suppose I wanted to get uh, experience in the in the industry um, and in our last term of our second year our lecturers said we had to put on a live event in our final year um and our year group split into two and we uh literally went to the bar at the student union and sat around and um and we're talking about what what we wanted to put on um one of our lecturers was very keen that we should put on a festival of Eastern European theatre. And um, <laughs> that didn't get us terribly excited. No one is surprised to hear that that didn't get us terribly excited. But I sort of mentioned earlier a minute ago that I was sort of into music, I suppose. And most of our course were into music. And yeah. we read some of your listeners and viewers will remember a magazine called the NME, um, which was I do big time. Yeah. So it was our Bible and we read that every single week. And NME in 1992, 93 started to talk about 
stand-up comedy, contemporary comedy, call it whatever you want, but people like Sean Hughes and Joe Brand and uh, people like that, they were talking about. And um, famously, they put Rob Newman and David Baddiel on their cover, which was a real moment, I think, because people were going, you're a music, pure music fans were, I think, a little bit fed up that these comedians would be on the front cover of NME. It was a music magazine, right? Um, So comedy started to become really popular. And and so the idea of an Eastern European theatre festival sounded dull as anything. And so somebody else in our group, and it wasn't me, but somebody else said, why don't we put on a comedy festival? Now, it sounded very exciting, but none of us knew any comedians, any agents, any managers. Um, We'd never promoted live comedy before, um, but we didn't let that stop us, uh, stop us or put us off indeed. And, um, and I suppose things just started to happen. Um, That's fantastic. it, It was, it was, it was amazing really. And, um, uh, it it was really really exciting. It felt like we were on in the right place at the right time. Um, and 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 it still surprises people when we say we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. You know, quite a lot of comedy festivals now come out of comedy clubs yeah. or comedians who've been doing it for a while. Um, I mean, when we when we set up Leicester, it, there was a festival in Newcastle that was run by a guy called uh, Paul Sneddon and another Northeast comedian called Dave Johns. I don't know what happened to him. Um, <laughs> uh, so they kind of knew what he's they were a, doing. He's a film actor. <laughs> yeah. They, they, know a lot, they knew a lot about comedy. We, we had no idea what we were doing, but we, we, we knew a lot of people who did know. Right. Of comedy. So anyway, I'll stop rabbiting on. That's how it started. It was a university project and i and i now say it's a university project that got way out of hand um it, it should have it should have not carried on for 30 years what i, what I love uh, about uh the festival and in particular um this year with the 30th one um you had a big anniversary um uh celebration at the sue townsend theater and when i met you like I'm listening to you now, you're extremely enthusiastic for the craft, like I am. And I think that says a lot. You know, if if you're at the start of a project of anything and you have no idea what is going to happen, how how to find it or anything, the wonderful thing, enthusiasm is all of it, I think. It's a it's it's a massive starting block because everybody around you will help you and support you because of your character and the way you are. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, um, even in those, I mean, so you're right in from a comedy point of view. I think the other thing I will say, uh, which we don't need to go into detail unless you want to, is I am passionate about festivals. I think, I think there are, and not just comedy, but there are an awful lot of really terrible festivals, which <laughs> which are not festive, they're not exciting, they're not fizzy, they're not disruptive, all the things that festivals are supposed to be. 
Um, and I was, I did go to a few festivals when I was growing up um, and I, and I very quickly learned to love them really. And I think, so yes, I would say that I am, I get really, I get a kick out of comedy, but I also wanted Leicester Comedy Festival to be as good as it possibly could be from the very beginning. And I think a lot of people ask me for advice, you know, if I'm going to put on a comedy festival, what should I do? And my advice nearly always is don't forget the festival bit. Um, because I don't know about you and, you know, let's not go down this road because that would be unkind, but you just see some comedy festivals pop up and they're not, you know, they're just, it's just yeah. a collection of events. And, and yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to be dismissive of anybody or anything, but it, please try and make them festive for God's sake. I totally 100% agree with you. I, 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 um, I don't. I don't want to make a big thing of it either. But um, the only thing I can say is that I saw the exhibition in 2023 at the library, and it, in Leicester, and it was extraordinary how it started off in 1994. Was it yeah. that was the first year, 30 years, and you had a little tiny poster with a big name on, and then it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, and it's incredible the amount of comedians that have come through as a result of playing the Leicester Comedy Festival. Now, it's, now it's not just to target that alone, because one of the reasons that my blog works is that uh, is that I don't just support the big comedians. I support the up-and-coming comics as well. So I go to a lot of free, um, free showcases and all the rest of it. And this is what you try and do as well. You bring in as well. You you, you gamut the whole. Um, you have the whole sphere of it all. You know, it's not just let's have a big name here and a big name there. It's it's a it's a fascinating thing because you're looking for the next big thing. You know, uh, to yeah. keep it going. You know, and um, please tell me about the process of setting it up. Then every year, is it is you must start the year before for the following year is 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 that right yeah so um uh as you know right now it's a bit peculiar because up until now uh, it, it take it takes about 18 months to plan yeah. for the following festival um but this was my last festival so i'm i'm, yes. I'm stopping it so uh normally now and for the last six months, I would be thinking about 24 and possibly even 25 festival. I haven't been doing that because I'm leaving, so I don't have to do it anymore. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it takes about 18 months. It's, um, uh, you know, if, if increasingly, and this has shifted over 30 years massively. In the, in the early days, we used to book nearly all the acts in August and September. Um, if you had a good Edinburgh we book you like the week after Edinburgh for February. Um, you can't do that now with hardly anybody because people's diaries have got filled up yeah. uh, much further in advance. So, um, so now if we want to book bigger names, then you need to get them in for, I mean, how many tours have been announced for 24 a lot um, already? And it's not, we're only in March of 23, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, so we'd need to sort of put, some of those bigger names in place early on and then it takes quite a long time to get some money together 
um, funding and, and sponsorship remains important, of course. Um, and then and then we start the process in terms of finding promoters and venues. And and then there's a kind of there is a pause, because if we tried to deliver the festival and also plan for the next one, we would all be insane by now. Um, and then an awful lot of work happens. So we're in March now. So for the team, their busiest period will be June, July, August, September. And then the programme is now launched. We used to launch the programme in January, which just makes my head go. I can't <laughs> believe we used to do that. It used to feel so last minute. But now we launch in sort of October, November time for the following February. So that's a long yeah. answer to your question. It takes about 18 months. About 18 months. When when you've said you have retired and this is your last one. Yeah. Um, does that mean I've retired for good? I want nothing more to do with it, even though it's my baby and I've had a wonderful time doing it. Or are you going to be an advisor in future? Well, some people have said I'm going to do it. I think the the biggest example is like Elton John, who says he's retiring, and then the following year comes back with another tour. <laughs> it takes about five years for him to retire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, I, 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 I'm I'll leaving. The eyes. <laughs> I, I have. I, I am. I am. I am leaving. Um, yeah. I'm leaving. Uh, next Friday. Um, uh, well, it's it's. It, I mean. What is great is the legacy you've left behind. Yeah. What is awful is that it, what is sad is that you're gone. You you've gone. You know well, you're not there, but you've left this incredible legacy. I have, and and you know, I I I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. I have no plans at the moment. Um, you know, one of the things to give you. A, I don't know whether this is useful or not, but um, I, I've I, one of the things I loved about the festival is I've developed a thing of me interviewing comedians live on stage, and I've absolutely, I mean, my God, it just I do I don't know about you doing this podcast thing, but I genuinely pinch myself when I'm about to go on stage with Nish Kumar or Sean Walsh or Sarah. I'm Lee. the same with I'm the same with this with you. You just think this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. What is happening? Um, it is bonkers. Yeah. So, for example, I might carry on as a freelancer, yeah. uh, interviewing comedians as part of the festival. I've also I've also been really lucky that I've been asked to do them at Glastonbury. So I interviewed Joanne, oh. Joe Brand at Glastonbury and Pam Ayres. Oh wow! Um, so I might carry on doing things like that. But in what terms, I, what, of I, what I think you can do as well is write a book about the thirty years. Yeah, people have said that, Richard. Um, I, I, who knows? I might. Uh, there's all sorts of things I might do, but I'm not going to. I'm no longer the director no. of the festival. No. I am the founder of the festival, and that yes. will never change. Yeah, um, because nobody else was the founder. So um, I don't know. Let's just see, Richard. It's not. Yeah, we don't have to decide now, do we? What do you think makes the Leicester Comedy Festival distinctive? You touched on it before. From other comedy festivals. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I've already talked about the focus on being festive, and I think yeah. I think I think we do that quite well. Yeah. Um, I think we have we have a really broad definition of comedy. Um 
we have tried to have a broad definition of comedy. So our mantra has for years been everybody laughs at something. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your age is, what your ethnicity is, uh, you know, living in a city like Leicester, which is incredibly diverse. Um, we've always been conscious of the fact that everybody laughs at something. And our job is to cram as many of those things into 19 days as possible. So I think what makes Leicester distinctive are, I think, the festive bits, but also things like we do a thing called Silver Stand Up, which is was the first, I think, comedy com comedy competition for older people. It's for over 55s. Um, we do the UK Pun Championships. Yeah. Um, we have exhibitions, of you, as you said. We have talks as part of a thing called Beyond a Joke. We yeah. have films. Um, until, and this is a bit of a, <laughs> this might be a sad thing to say. I don't mean it like that, but... Up until she passed away, my nieces, nephews, parents and my grandmother came to Leicester Comedy Festival every year. Now, of course, they'd come because I was the director of it. Wow. They, you know, but they they found something. So I think I think it's the it sounds a bit naff, maybe, but I think it's the inclusive nature of the festival. It's the diverse. Totally We've done. We did a thing years ago, which I loved, which was, a, I, I wish I could do this more. We did a show, which was a celebration of British comedy songs. And we did it at the cathedral. And we had people singing, always look on the bright side of life. The, um, what's the Victoria Wood song? Ballad of John and Frieda. That's ballad of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. Yeah. The Spitting Image Chicken song. Yeah. Um, now, that is an odd thing for a comedy festival to include. I think, again, I'm not, I'm really not being critical of other comedy festivals. Please, I must underline that. But I think a lot of other comedy festivals focus on stand-up. They focus on the kind of the best of Edinburgh. Um, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But we, we've always, I think, been distinctive. And I suppose the other thing, you know, obviously, we're, we're the longest-running comedy festival in Europe. And... Um, mm -hmm. You talk about comedians growing up with the festival. Um, yeah, I think that's true. But I also think if you do it for 30 years, that's bound to happen, right? You're, you're bound to have people who are now massive who did shows here when they were younger. Um, so, so I think things like our patrons, you know, we were really fortunate in the early years that, that um, Tony Slattery and Norm Wisdom agreed to become yeah, patrons. Wow. Sean yeah. Hughes and... Sue Townsend, Sue Townsend, yeah, lived yeah, in yeah, yeah. She, they became patrons. And now we have um, Joe Brand, Stuart, Stuart Lee, uh, Eshan Akbar, and others are patrons. Rosie Jones is a patron of the Kids Festival. I think they all reinforce the fact that it's festive, that it's, yeah. it's different. So, you know, you're, you, I mean, you, you're probably a better judge than me because you probably go to more comedy festivals than I do, but I don't, you're better than I, me. I, I, I go to a lot. I go, I, I've, I've been asked to be a judge at Hastings this year. I'm going to Brighton. I'm, I've been to Edinburgh for years. But just listening to you, it is the inclusivity of it, I think, that plays a major part to it. Another reason why I think my blog works, as I said before, is that, I support comedians who are just starting out. And what's wonderful is, for example, somebody like Harry Hill, watching him develop. So I list all, all the 
at all the um, places I've ever seen him. And it's my experiences of watching, obviously, as they're growing and developing. Um, the other thing is um, I uh, uh, um, took my, I was invited onto a writer's course for uh, when I when I started uh, um, doing this blog. And uh, it was just a half day thing. And um, when I got there, they forgot uh, why they invited me there, and I and and I was I was surrounded by people who wanted to be reviewers, and um, uh, I said uh, I said well I'm not a reviewer, I'm not a reporter, I'm not a diarist, I'm not a critique, I'm a member of the audience out to have fun, and you know I think the passion of it shows through in what I'm trying to do to support this wonderful thing because sometimes I get criticized of liking everybody all the comedians <laughs> but it's not it's not liking them it's liking the experience of going there you know I mean, I mean I do enjoy obviously trying to find new talent and I can I can produce spreadsheets and whatnot lists of whatnot of acts that we're going to go and see and normally my friends so oh, rich that was fantastic so there's something about the inclusivity of it generally but i think it shines more you're so true because leicester is such a diverse place and it's not just as you say stand-up comedy you're putting on other 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 events that i'm finding more fascinating i've just come back from the bristol slapstick festival which i've never mm. been to before and that was a similar thing where you had comedians presenting things. So it wasn't just stand up. It was like, you know, the thing, other bits and pieces. Let's yeah. move on. Um, yeah. yeah. How do you decide which comedians or comedy acts perform at the Leicester Comedy Festival each year? Do you have a system? Um, uh, well, I guess I guess we do uh, have a system, which is um, we promote directly promote virtually none of our festivals so um if you if you just roll back the clock 30 years to when we set it up and we were students running a festival we had no money we had no resources we certainly couldn't risk any of our money that we didn't have on on a festival so we looked at different models of festivals of which there are many, many, many different models, right? Some of them are run by venues. Some of them are run by promoters, comedians. I could talk about that's a separate conversation to have another time, but um, we decided that we would adopt exactly the same model as the Edinburgh fringe um, in the sense that we are a central coordinating organization called Leicester comedy festival, but, the program of events is produced by other people um so if you wanted to come and take over a venue in leicester during the festival and put on comedy shows you can um and there's a bit of a quality control system i suppose in terms of we don't we do kind of vet venues and promoters to make sure that they're good at what they do yeah. um so the sort of the big the thing that we try and shout about over and over and over again is if you're a comedian don't i'm the, i have been the director of the festival but i can't kind of give you a gig in the festival so please don't hound me on social media or anywhere else just you know please give me a gig give me a gig give me a gig because i won't because i that's not how it works um and actually i think from a quite a sort of dull 
perspective in terms of sustainability and longevity and people do ask me how have you done this for 30 years it's a long time not just me personally but how have you kept the festival going for 30 years it's because the risk is taken by a lot of people and so if one venue has a bad year it doesn't bring the festival down right because it's up it's up to them so the answer to your question is in terms of how I choose who's on in the festival. I don't. Um, other people do. And obviously we have a, when I say obviously, it may not be obvious. We have a really close relationship with our promoters. Um, and a lot of people do contact us to be in the festival. And then we would broker the, we're a bit more proactive than the Edinburgh Fringe Society are. We would, we wouldn't just say go away, talk to talk to some other people. We we would say, oh, actually, we think the best venue for you might be this space, or the best promoter would be that promoter. So we do we talk to comedians all the time, but um, at the end of the day, it isn't our responsibility, except for though those kind of special events that we produce in the festival, and so things like the pun championships. Silver Stand Up, the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year, which has been going for 29 years. Um, those kind of things we do. We produce a community programme. We produce the Kids Festival now that's been going for five years. Mm. Um, those kind of things are, are down to us. Um, but most of it, 90, 85, 90% of the programme is not, not down to us. Um, well, I'm not. I'm not coming to you then if I want to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I had a, I had to go once. Which Did you? Was my start. It, 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 it was just a nightmare. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know a, a. Or I used to know a promoter, and uh, they used to put on gong shows, uh, uh, which was just. I mean, it couldn't be worse. It was. It. It was. And older people were in the audience. So, so I said, right. I said. Let me get it out to my system. People think I'm funny in pubs because I can remember jokes from the comedians. And I think I've so I, I ran out. And uh, there was three people in the crowd. And uh, I walked out and, I, and the first thing I said was, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. People think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And of course, when I was at college, I was this tall <laughs> And I thought that's a fail safe. One old fella in the back just went, piss off. <laughs> and I walked up to the sound of my footsteps. And the promoter went, have another go. And I think my thing is in the audience, my head, yeah. which is proven to be. Yeah. Um, so fascinating, but, but a very good way of doing it. Because obviously, um, I can imagine. Um, running the festival separately to booking to to um helping comedians out that's a whole different ball game yeah, yeah. And, and yes and and what it's meant is um i think i feel very um i do feel for our promoters in leicester but also promoters in general is yeah. of, of festivals um if you've got five shows on tonight and three of them aren't selling, you have to desperately try and find an audience for those three shows that need an audience, right? Um, and that takes up time and energy and capacity and all that kind of stuff. On the whole, we don't have to worry about that. Our promoters do, 
And obviously, we want people to come to the festival. I'm not saying we're completely hands off, but we can then focus on uh, things like um, a, a box, an overall box office for the festival, PR and marketing. We can focus on branding. We can focus on getting sponsorship and funding. And I think a lot, within the festival world, I think a lot of festival directors, you get you get absolutely caught up in the necessity for bums on seats. And that's the most important thing. And other things, because you've only got so much time, um, other things go by the wayside. And we, we've we always been really fortunate in the sense that, as I say, we will be supportive and we will try and help people wherever we can. But at the end of the day, if if somebody needs to find 30 people for a show tonight, that's up to them, not up to us. And that means we can focus on other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. So so my follow-on question from that um, is mainly about uh, mainly about the promoters again. So um it's it it's like, is there is there a backup plan in place if any of the acts suddenly cancel or are not there or anything like that? Do you have anything to do with that or is that just the promotion side? So normally, I mean, if it's a mixed bill, which we don't have very much of, actually, there's more more mixed bills now than there ever has been, but there's still not huge amounts. Um, yeah. um, so what, what would happen on a very practical point of view is um, somebody, I don't know, a show would be cancelled for whatever reason. Um, uh, and the promoter would contact us and say, we're put, we've got to pull this show tonight or tomorrow night or whatever. Um, we have, we do have a lot of people who contact us and say, we can't get into the festival. If there's any cancellations, do let us know. Most of our promoters would also have a list as well. And so yeah. between us, we would try and fill the slot. It doesn't always happen um, because, because practically you can't always do it. Um, but um, yeah, most of the time, I think, I think there's only been one occasion. I think we do a big show in January called the Gala Show, which is at Montfort Hall in Leicester, which is 1500 seats. It's the biggest venue in Leicester. And yeah. um, uh, that kind of kicks off the festival, I suppose, really. And it features acts from the festival only once, I think, as the host of that um, had to cancel like, I don't know, a week before the show. Um, mm. And so we've then had to find, and you have to, for that show, you have to find an act that's big enough to sort of work with a room of 1,500 people. I'm yes. not talking about yeah, famous yeah. people necessarily, but an act who can work with a room that size because a, a lot of hosts, of MCs, are used to doing 100-seaters, say, or two, 300-seaters. 1,500 is very different to 300. Um so you only have a certain number of people that you can choose from, and then all most of those people will be booked for in a week's time. So um, doing TV or whatever. So it's a bit of a juggling act, Richard. But I think most of the time we, I think we tend to get shows on when there's supposed to be a show. It might not be the person you wanted to see, but it's always such a good bill though when we've been. That's what Thank that's you. what attracts us to it. You know, it's it, we know we're going to have a good time because there's lots of friends who are already there, yeah. and so you've got the inclusivity like you say but the but it's the quality of the acts it's the it's the venues as well i i absolutely love if i can pick one out the firebug yeah. i think i i think it's a classic fringy grungy in a lovely way 
venue that is just full of life whenever you go in it at whatever time of the day. <laughs> and to have it open all the time is just wonderful, you yeah. know. So yeah. things yeah. like that, that's that's what makes it for me. It's like um I, I always say as soon as you step off the train at Edinburgh, for example, in the fringe, it's like the atmosphere is just boom. And it's exactly the same when you go to to Leicester. It's exactly oh. the same. Yeah, so, thank you. Well done, you. Congratulations. Um, so I watched the Leicester Mercury uh, Act of the Year show yes. uh, at Leicester this year, hosted by the wonderful Sakisa, yep. who's been on this on 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 this podcast. She's lovely. She was a great host. What are your views in general of comedy competitions? Do you think they're a good thing? Do you think they help the comedian's career? I think. I think there's only one good comedy competition, and that's the Leicester Mercury Comedian. Yes, of course. <laughs> All the others should be stopped immediately by <laughs> law. Um, that's and, a great answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'm of course being stupid. Um, <laughs> I think. I think there. I think I'll give you a similar answer to the to when I was waffling on about festivals. You're not waffling. I think I was talking to an act a couple of weeks ago and they're quite new. And, and I said, they said, can you give us some advice? And I said, the advice I'd give you is, and I know this is frustrating and I know this is difficult, but the advice I'd give you is, don't contact bookers with a whole list of gigs that you've done, which nobody's ever heard of. Um, it's utterly pointless. And I know it's frustrating because until you get a good gig with a good promoter, how do you, you know, how do you develop your career? And I think the same is true of competitions. I think there are brilliant competitions. I think there are some really credible ones I think there are also some that are less good and less credible. And and I feel, I do feel for new and emerging comedians who are trying to navigate, well, how do I know which is a good one and which is a bad one? And that's really difficult to do. But um, I think, I think there are, are there too many comedy competitions? I don't know whether that's true or not, but I certainly think there are ones that are better than others. Um, now, having said that, when we set up the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year in 1995, uh, I mean, it was ropey as anything when we first set it up. I mean, it was just looking back now about how we set it up and how what the structure was. It was just it was it was really ramshackle. Um, was it always in the Y Theatre? Yeah, well, that's interesting because the other day somebody said said to the team, not to me, um, oh, we could probably move it to a bigger venue. And, I, and that's one of the things that I'm like, no, the whole <laughs> that's the why. That is where it happens. I don't care whether it could be a bigger venue with more, I mean, it always sells out, but whether it could be a bigger venue with more tickets and therefore we'd make more money and all that. I don't care. It belongs in the Y Theatre. in Leicester. Oh, Yeah, it's a lovely place. Lovely, and that's where it should be, as far as I'm concerned. But I won't be responsible, so if it moves, you know, it's not down to me. But it, I think comedy competitions are really 
good in terms of people getting exposure i think for people to see other comedians you know one of the things i and other people say to comics all the time is watch more comedy um so you know if you're starting out don't just sit in the green room or backstage what you know on your own watch the other acts that are on um so i think festivals are really good opportunities to do that i think comedy competitions are really good opportunities to do that i kind of don't if i'm i don't think i i don't think i care i i don't <laughs> well there you go <laughs> I, I think no. I mean, I, I think if somebody wants to set up another comedy competition, if you want, you can. It's fine. Um, what was what what was good, great about Leicester Mercury for me was um, uh, uh, Mark Olver, one of the judges, has been on the podcast, and um, a friend of friends of mine who who joined me on the front row at comedy gigs a lot uh, got tickets for the last leg. Uh, the recording, and of course he's the he's the warm up man, and I know Josh Widdicombe very well, and I know he's a, a Leicester comedy, mm. um, Leicester Mercury winner, previous winner, and um, when I was at the Edinburgh Fringe last year, there's lots of name dropping, but Ivo Graham, <laughs> I like to wear t-shirts, and he got me a he, he got me a t-shirt that said Richard says laugh on it. Because it's because uh, <laughs> of my laugh. So whenever I go to the comedy nights, I take a photograph and I send him a message and I say, "This T-shirt's more popular than I am." <laughs> I wore it at uh, the last leg thing. Adam Hills ran out. Went hell, hell, Mister Richard says love. And Josh Riddicombe went, oh, my God, that's Richard Gill. He's the greatest audience member in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody cheered. It was like, this is amazing, because all the whole premise of the blog started from my enthusiasm, back to the enthusiasm again, of, yeah. of the art form, which is similar to you, I, I from what you're saying. Yeah. Um, tell me more about life away from the Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, have you ever been a stand-up comedian? Um, was it just uh, a, a student project that got you into it? Have you always been a fan of comedy? Well, um, uh, people have asked me that before. I don't... So when I... I mean, growing up, I, I you know, if we go back to when I was you know, my teenage years, we, we weren't, we weren't a real arty family. My, you know, my mum and dad, I think we barely, they barely listened to music. Um, I don't remember the radio being on very much. Um, certainly they didn't go to shows. I mean, that, that, you know, so, so the whole thing about when I said about promoting a band when I was 13, I have no idea where that came from. Um, so. Creativity. It's what, sorry? Creativity. Yeah, well, yeah, it probably is creativity. But um, so growing up, no. I mean, I do remember, I mean, I remember when I was young watching things like Comic Relief and um, I always get it wrong. Saturday, Friday Night Live. Friday Night Live became yeah. Saturday Night Live. I remember watching yeah. that. I remember watching Emo Phillips, who I adored and um, would tape everything. If Emo was going to be on Channel 4 <laughs> late at night, I would tape that. And I've still got the VHS videos of Emo. Wow. I love it. Um, 
and I so I suppose I did start to watch it and then when I came to I lived in London for a year before I came to Leicester and I um I watched a bit of comedy in London but not a lot and then when I came to Leicester I saw people like Linda Smith, Lee Evans, Eddie Izzard I remember seeing they, there was a that Sue Townsend theatre that we were in the other week yeah um, that used to be called the Phoenix Arts Centre and they had a brilliant comedy program so I, I uh live program um but no <clears throat> I've never I've never wanted to be <clears throat> excuse me um on stage I've never wanted to be uh I'm incredibly pleased that comedians do what they do but I can't quite even after 30 years fathom out how you can be live you can live in Leicester and one night you can drive to Bournemouth die on your ass for five minutes drive back to Leicester and then get up the next day and say I know I'm going to do it again <laughs> I, do, I don't get the same buzz but uh, but people have said to me over and over again you know you've put on a festival which you know it's no no secret in the early years we lost a lot of money and things were really difficult and on a knife edge at times. Um, and yeah, I carried on. So it's kind of a similar situation really, but I've never wanted to be on stage. I've never wanted to be a comedian. Um, I once did an improvised comedy workshop. And if I'm honest, I did quite, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did, but I'm not, not going to do it again. Um, it's fascinating. My first ever show um, I'm I'm 55 years old. My first ever show was 1974, and we went to see Les Dawson. At wow. And he was incredible. Yeah. The following year, we saw Tommy Cooper, wow. uh, and and uh, the curtains opened. There's a little bed that he's lying on. One woman in the audience is crying with laughter, and he trickles round. He doesn't do anything, and after about five minutes. He pops his head up. He goes, "What? What? Somebody come on!" <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and I thought, "I've got the buzz here. I'll start writing everything down." So, I wow, yeah. And and it all started off with an enormous spreadsheet. And uh, um, I thought, "I've got a book here. If I can do it from an audience point of view." Yeah. Started off as a book, but I couldn't afford the publishing rights. So my friend said, my friend in Carlisle who runs her own business, she said, this is crying out for a blog. And literally I said, what's a blog? And then what's a podcast? And I've just developed it as it's gone along. So have you, now, have you kept records of every show you've ever seen? I've, I've got a spreadsheet of every single um, uh, show I've ever seen wow. since, since 1974. So, so you start off with Les Dawson, there's a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away. The, the main reason why I wanted why, why I like comedy is Morecambe and Wise. And, and wow. I've got all the books behind me are all biographies of comedians. I mean, I've got 10 books by them. I've asked Gary Morecambe to come on here, which would be amazing to talk mm -hmm. about his dad and Ernie. Um, but certainly Les Dawson, Ken Dodd, the two Ronnies, um, uh, um, uh, Billy Connolly... And then uh, I came to London in 1988. My home city is Carlisle. Came to London in 1988. And uh, you said about Linda Smith. She was on the first bill of the comedy store that I saw. God love her. God bless her. Mm. It was Linda Smith, Richard Morton, um, John Maloney, um, 
and Charles Fleischer, who was never heard of again because uh, he went to voice Roger Rabbit. He was an American. Really? Uh, and so he's never heard of again. And that's the magic of it. Um, but, I mean, I've seen absolutely everybody. Harry Hill was... was Harry, Harry Hill's one of my favourite stories where I first saw him 30 years ago in Downstairs in the King's Head in, in London. And uh, he has the greatest opening line I've ever heard uh, to any set. He, he brushed past me and he jumped up on stage and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really sorry, I'm late. I had to have a testicle brought down and there was a pause and a laugh. And then he said, from Derby. <laughs> and, uh, and about 30 years later, when I met him, I, I told him this story. I went, oh, Richie said, I still tell that. <laughs> Brilliant. And Brilliant. another highlight in my top five, I think now, is that wonderful poster behind you, the Peter Kay poster, the Mum Wants a Bungalow 20 or 3 poster. Yeah. I first saw him yep. in, a, in a pub called the Jabez Clegg in Manchester. He was on a bill of five acts. He was fourth on. He wasn't famous. And he was just exactly like he is now. And I said to my mate, I laughed so hard. I said to my mate, this bloke's going to be a superstar. And I laughed so hard at him. I laughed so hard I missed the fifth act. So about a month later, I had to go and uh, apologise to Dave Gorman because he was the fifth act. <laughs> <laughs> what a talent Peter Kay is, you know. And, and there's another argument for um, uh, comedians playing arenas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're only supposed to be little clubs. But um, I love to think that Peter Kay... And, Mac, uh, and Michael McIntyre and Alma are the ones that play the big arenas, go and still do exactly the same act that they've always done. It's just the popularity of them. It's extraordinary. I've interviewed on here Justin Moorhouse and Alex Lowe, who played Clinton Baptiste, yeah. and Ian Kenny from Phoenix Nights. And, uh, I mean, he would be a dream to interview Peter Kay. But, um, uh, Good luck with that. Tell me, tell me more about that. You actually promoted that tour, did you? No, um, no, we're not, no. not, not the tour. So um, you talk about tiny shows. So it starts. The first date on that tour is um, the Birmingham Glee Club. Yeah. Uh, then there's a couple in Bury. Yeah. Then there's two dates at a venue called the Leicester International Arts Centre. I'll come back to that in a second. And then it goes on to being things like the Lowry Centre, Manchester Apollo, the Hammersmith Apollo, for goodness knows how many nights. Um, oh, it was amazing. It just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. <clears throat> it was something like 180 gigs. It was yeah, it's exactly. That's, it's 180 dates. Yeah. So I, I, I still remember uh, I had a phone call, because in those days that's what used to happen, um, and uh, the promoter said... Um, so Justin Morehouse had done a gig at the International Arts Centre as part of the comedy festival and loved it. So the International Arts Centre was sort of, everybody used to call it locally, like Leicester's Phoenix Nights. It was a very working men's club type venue. I would have loved it. It was wonderful. It's still there. Um, and so the promoter rang me up and said, uh, Justin has recommended to Peter that he should do a warm-up date at this venue and I, I said, who's Peter Kay? So this was in 2000 and this was the beginning of 2002. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said, 
you don't know who Peter Kay is? And I said, no, I've got no idea who Peter Kay is. And then he said, well, he wants to do two days. Is that possible? And so I said, well, probably. So I then put the phone down and then rang the venue. And then I also rang a friend of mine who lived up north and said, I've been offered a comedian called Peter Kay. And she went, you should book him. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, okay, fine. And so I did. And then there was a thing in the, um, I mean, this was before the internet, you know. And then we put a, we put a press release out and in the local newspaper, they said, oh, Peter Kay is coming to the International Arts Centre in Leicester. And the phone number for tickets was our office number. And I absolutely remember the newspaper used to come out at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I mean, the phrase, you know, it rang off the hook was true. It just rang and rang and rang and rang and rang. And we sold it out within like, you know, like an hour or something. It was ridiculous. But, you know, um, I, say, I say in an hour, in those days, it was me answering the phone and saying, how many tickets? And then I would write down that you want three tickets and <laughs> your name and your phone number. And that's how we used to do it. Um, so my, I, I nearly didn't do that. But I, I'm well, very I well done you for doing it, because yeah. my my friend who wants to see him um, uh, got rang up for the new tour and um, uh, it took him six hours to get through to them and they were literally june's gone july's gone (laughs) august gone so we're going to see him at christmas (laughs) brilliant which christmas this christmas Christmas. uh, thankfully at the o2 so so yeah so it's gonna be good but i've seen him so many times i just love his act I i think there's a lot of other nods to great comedians like les dawson ken dodd and ricky bass um, but his delivery, he's a classic comedian of not only being funny, just a funny man, but um, uh, the, the delivery is so endearing. So you want to go and have a drink with him afterwards or you want to meet him afterwards or whatever. But um, what, what, just extraordinary. What, I feel, uh, sorry, sorry if this is, uh, if I'm butting in or it's, it's irrelevant, but what is really interesting about what you've been saying which you absolutely remind me of Andy Hollingworth um, uh, because, um, and I'm probably guilty of this because I talked about NME starting to write about comedy in 92, 93. But I think I did make the point that they started to write about contemporary comedy, whatever you want to call it. What's interesting about what you said and all the stuff that Andy has done, which is extraordinary, is there is an absolute line from uh well you know before laurel and hardy before harold lloyd before all those people and and then people like morecambe and wise and i know i'm sort of um i'm I'm shrinking the history of british comedy into three minutes but um and then people like billy Connolly and jasper carrot and victoria wood and like that and then people like Jenny Eclair and Joe Brand and Linda Smith and there's a continuum right uh, since from way way back very much so yeah and it and it's really annoying when people think British comedy started with the comedy store and Alexi Sale and, oh and no that was really important that was don't yeah. get me wrong it was a critical moment and all mm. of that and alternative comedy and the young ones and all of that absolutely yeah. 
but British comedy goes back much, much, oh, much. I mean, I mean, the Slapstick Festival, I saw Griffith yeah. Jones talking about Laurel and Hardy. It was fascinating. Yeah. And, and of course, being from Carlisle, the Stan Laurel Ulverston Museum is amazing. The Laurel and Hardy Museum there, mm. it gives such a history. There were two, there were two fantastic comedians. And what I love about them was, was if you think about, um, Morecambe and Wise, if you think about Bruce Forsyth, and if you think about Laurel and Hardy, the link with them is the camera there so they could look right next to the face. They could give a look, and they were brilliant at doing that. Um, uh, Oliver Hardy was superb when all the disaster happened. Bruce Forsyth would look and give the perfect look to get a laugh. And, of course, Eric Morecambe didn't have to do anything, and you'd be laughing at him, but... Mm. Mm. It's it's uh, the, the techniques like that that go way back mm. were pivotal with yeah. it all, and yeah. and I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I really do. I've got I've got two more questions for you. One of them is, um, uh, how do you think stand-up comedy has evolved over the last thirty years? There you go. Just a little question at the end, then. <laughs> snappy answer. Um, Sorry, I didn't want to mind blow you away there. <laughs> I, well, in many, many, many ways, I think. Um, I mean, there's more. There's more people doing it. Um, there's more. I think opportunities. Yeah. I. This might sound like a bit of a a dull answer um it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on i think in terms of the leicester festival and an inclusivity inclusivity and diversity i think it's way more diverse than it than it ever has been and i think i'm trying not to sound twee i think it's nicer I think it's, I think people are kinder. I think people are, um, uh, you know, in the industry, but also in terms of the material, I think people are much more aware and you can call that wokeism. You can call it whatever you like. Um, But I think it's, it's, it's a nicer world to, to inhabit than it, than it ever has been. And I think, you know, there's now there's. I mean, we have this conversation all the time uh, with the team at Leicester. You know, is I mean, because I've been doing it for so long. I remember when it was really difficult to find and book non-white comedians. I remember when it was. You know, there's the whole thing to do with comedy and disability, and you know, there might have been one or two, but other than that, not not many. Um, the debate continues about female comedy and female comedy. So I think, I think it's so much better now than it ever has been before. And I, and I think that's, I don't quite know why that is, but I, I think that's true. I think, I think in my bleak moments, I do, um, worry i don't lie awake at night worrying about it but i do it's a consideration i think for the industry about um young people and 
how they consume entertainment and and you know i suppose the obsession with these things and free content in particular and um you know i think if you if you combine that with the fact that um there was a thing on the news recently about more and more young people are not drinking um alcohol um so i think i think there is an interesting conversation to be had about the next 30 years of British comedy, if, if that's the thing. It's, it's fascinating because I, I, I totally agree with um, the diversity and the disability and what, whatever you want to call it, wokeism or whatever. Um, but I think we are living in a different communicative world. We can get any piece of information in one minute, you know, so, uh, but, but for me, um, there is nothing better than a live experience of watching a stand-up comedian because you're in the moment and anything can happen. If it's live, it's just the most wonderful thing. I, I love to go out on a Saturday night or whenever I go, a load of friends, and I sit down and I go, right, entertain me. Yep. And they do. It's always something you have to give them credit for getting up and having a go, if nothing else. But if if they are, if there's something they say or something they do or the way that they act or they deliver the joke or anything, you're watching it live instead of on a screen. Yeah, and and it's it's an extraordinary thing. I think I I think that's the main thing. And my answer to. your debate, the debate about female comedy and wokeism and all the rest of it. I look at it as if they're funny, they're funny. Because comedy is such a subjective thing. Um, It's right that you're, that that I may not like the comedians that you like and vice versa. But if it makes, if they make you laugh or if they give you joy, what is not to love? You know, it's as simple as that. And that's how it's going to keep going, I think. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yes. My final question to you, and I'm not going to do this, but if I was to set up a comedy festival, who knows? (laughs) uh, (laughs) What advice would you give to me? Well, other than don't you fucking dare do that because uh, <laughs> we don't want any more competition Carlisle hasn't got a comedy festival <laughs> uh, not yet um, well so uh, uh, so the second thing I'd say to you is hire me as your consultant to come and help you set it up um, of course yes I'd be delighted <laughs> it's it's the stuff we talked about earlier on um, yeah it, it, it... Again, it sounds a bit naff. There's three words in the title of our festival, Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, Of course, the comedy is really important, um, but festival is also really important and Leicester is really important. So you can't, you need to pay attention to those things. And it's um, uh, the other piece of advice I'd give is, is, you know, which people do say over and over again to me, not necessarily with comedy festivals, but festivals in general, is they're going to do it for a few years and they're going to make so much money. You're really not. Um, So I think if a festival responds to where it is, so the Leicester bit, um, of course, comedy is important. Make it festive Um, and just, and, and go for it. I mean, we, we, 
if, if we go full circle back to how we started this conversation, we had no idea what we were doing. We literally had no idea, but people supported us and it was fun. We wanted it to be ambitious, exciting, energetic, and we just did it. And it took us about 10 years, surprisingly, before we had a sort of business plan or a plan for the future. The first 10 years, we just did it every year. It was brilliant. What's not to like? And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And we did it again. And we did it again. And then it was brilliant. Um, So, you know, you can plan these things as much as you like. You can think about all sorts of things. But um, like comedy clubs, like going to see comedy, just get, just do it. It's, it's probably lots of fun. You're not going to make any money. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you'll have a really good time and um, you'll have lots of sleepless nights too don't get me wrong it, there will be moments where you'll think I'm not doing this anymore but um, on the whole just just crack on and do it why not you know there's there's many well, many more difficult things to do in this world if I if I ever do it and I don't know whether I will do it but if I ever do it uh, I do want you as my consultant, please. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I want to congratulate you on what a legacy, because the wonderful thing about the Leicester Comedy Festival for me is that how we were looked after, how friendly it is, how you make it look seamless. There was no problem getting in anywhere. The queue, there was no queues. It was just free flowing. And if, if, you're full on with a load of shows, then, you know, get, getting across the city from one one side to the other is 10 minutes, if that, you know, yeah. which, which is wonderful. So thank you so much for your legacy. I wish you every success for the future. I really do. Thank I you. hope to see you in Leicester when I, when I, because I'm now going to go every year. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a fantastic guest. I literally could talk to you all day. I really could. It's been been wonderful. I hope you've enjoyed it. Very much. Thank you for asking me on. And we can, you know, when you're back down in February, I mean, I'll have nothing to do. So we can have a beer and we can talk. Definitely, my friend. I'll I'll take you up on that. And all the best to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much.